Funding for Smart Talk is provided by Capital Blue Cross, providing health care coverage accepted by doctors and specialists in all 50 states. Serving the community for over 75 years, Capital Blue Cross is behind you for whatever lies ahead. More information is available at capbluecross.com. Capital Blue Cross, live fearless. Smart Talk is also supported by Pinnacle Health, committed to reducing hospital-acquired infections and readmission rates. More information on Pinnacle Health's achievements in patient safety can be found at pinnaclehealth.org quality. Welcome to Smart Talk. I'm Scott Lamar. On today's program, we look at the Chesapeake Bay cleanup from a few angles. Last month, Pennsylvania secretaries of the Departments of Environmental Protection, Conservation and Natural Resources, and Agriculture appeared on Smart Talk to discuss the state's efforts to clean up the Chesapeake Bay. Having three cabinet secretaries on one show was a first for us, but it shows that government is leading the cleanup. A bill has been introduced in the state Senate that would require cleanup work to be put out to be. The idea being the private sector can do the job for less cost and more efficiently. Our discussion on this portion of the program focuses on the private sector getting involved in the Chesapeake Bay cleanup. Joining us, Dominic Bassani, who is a member of the Policy Committee of the Coalition for Affordable Bay Solutions and CEO of Bion Environmental Tech and Environmental Services. Mr. Bassani, welcome to the program. Thank you. Also joining us, Steve Rowe, who is the president and CEO of Nutrient, a collective of U.S. dairy farmer cooperatives involved in a lot of other agriculture entities, and we'll talk about some of those during the program. Mr. Rowe, welcome to the program. Thank you, Scott. If you have a question or comment, give us a call, 1-800-729-7532, or send an email to smarttalk at witf.org. Dominic Bassani, you have been critical of the Bay cleanup effort so far. Why? Because it's not focused on cost, and cost is the issue. This is taxpayer money, and there is a requirement that solutions must be cost-effective and alternatives must be considered. And the idea of private sector coming in and being able to provide these reductions for less is not being considered. Why do you say that? Well, because the market doesn't allow, it, it doesn't enable these projects. For example, there, we built a project at Kreider Farms and Energy, built, Energy Works built a project for up in Gettysburg. Uh, each of those projects would reduce a million pounds of nitrogen. Uh, we did the first phase of Kreider. And uh, we couldn't sell any of the credits. And even though these credits were 20, 30, 40% of, of the cost of what the POTWs were doing. All right. So I'm going to have to explain a few things as we go along the sure. way, just so everyone understands what we're talking about. Kreider Farms is in Lancaster County. Correct. Uh, Kreider Farms and the Gettysburg Projects, what exactly did you do? In the Kreider installation, we did an initial project for 1,200 dairy cows. And what we did is we took the manure out of the barn and we processed it. We reduced ammonia emissions and we captured the remainder of the nitrogen uh, in the solids and uh, resulted in demonstrating that we could reduce overall nitrogen by around 72%. Uh, in Gettysburg, uh, Energy Works built a project whereby they took layer manure and they put it into a combination of gasification and some drying technologies, and they achieved very high reductions in nitrogen, phosphorus, etc. In both cases, we received verified credits. These are credits that are the equivalent of any industrial or public utility whereby everything is measured. And as a result, our credits being the equivalent of those, essentially, you could use the reductions from each one of these farms in lieu of building a project. So when you look at someplace like Danville that had a reduction requirement, I think, of 15,000 pounds and ended up spending $14 million on a new plant, rates went up 300 percent. Uh, they could have bought that 15,000 pounds from either one of these two projects for less than 120,000, about 120 to 150,000 dollars a year. 
Mm-hmm. Now, a lot of people, when they hear credits, they associate that with the Obama administration's proposals with cap and trade. So think along those lines, too, that these credits can be bought and sold. But the bottom line is there's no more pollution in the air or in the water. It's just that one polluter, if you will, uh, maybe putting less, maybe putting more out there, but then another one is doing less or more. It evens itself out. It does, and people need to understand that the Bay needs, uh, I don't remember, I think 150 million pounds of nitrogen a year or something like that. The problem is it's getting roughly 75, 80 million pounds more than it needs to survive. And so it's about reducing the amount that goes to the Bay. The Bay doesn't care where that nitrogen comes from, whether it comes from a dairy in Lancaster, an egg-laying facility in Gettysburg, or a municipal wastewater treatment plant in Clearfield. Mm-hmm. A pound of nitrogen is a pound of nitrogen. Now, you've been focusing a lot just here in the first few minutes on nitrogen, and that is one of the pollutants in the Bay. And you've written, I saw an op-ed that, that you wrote where you say that, or you identify nitrogen from manure runoff as the real reason that Pennsylvania can't get a handle on, well, can't. Okay, we'll talk about the progress we've made. We have made some progress, but uh, that we, we just can't get to the goals fast enough. Nitrogen is the cost driver. And the problem is that nitrogen is misunderstood. It is not a particulate. You can put all the riparian buffers in you want. You're chasing 20% of the nitrogen. If you look at, uh, at 100 pounds of nitrogen that a cow defecates in a barn, within 24 hours, 20 to 25% of that nitrogen has gone to atmosphere as ammonia. It's gone. So now you got 75% is what's going to a lagoon. In that lagoon, you have nitrification, denitrification, a whole bunch of things taking place in ammonia going atmosphere. By the time you're applying your lagoon, you're applying about half. And then half of that is going to atmosphere again or is going to dissolve. So the nitrogen problem is the driving issue, and it's the issue because it's not particulate. It's airborne, and it's dissolved. The vast majority of it from manure, that's where it ends up. So when we're talking about uh, nitrogen, we're talking about the manure, we're talking uh, almost 100% about the cattle and livestock, in, uh, and mostly in Pennsylvania, going into the waterways and into the Susquehanna River. So Steve Rowe, as president and CEO of Nutrient, uh, you represent a lot of different uh, farm interests. Uh, where does your company come down on this? Where do you come down on, on this issue of privatizing the cleanup of the Chesapeake Bay? Thanks, Scott. Um, our view, so let me give you a little background of who we are. We are a, a, a private company that's been pulled together by uh, really about half the milk in the country, and uh, we are dedicated to reducing the environmental footprint of dairy and making it economically viable to do so. So we're trying to develop a true triple bottom line sustainable approach to this. My view, uh, I've been an environmental practitioner for my whole career, and my view is the more players you have involved in pollution prevention, uh, the better it is. And the more they are incented in a real marketplace, uh, the faster those changes will take place. Um, Let me back up and give you a couple of pieces here. One, for the last 40 years, most of our attention in the environmental regulatory arena is around point sources. These are things with pipes and smokestacks. In recent years, we've recognized the role and contributions that that agriculture is making, but we call those non-point sources because it's so difficult to measure in some aspects how much runoff is there off of tens of thousands of acres of land. So those are non-point sources, and they generally have not been uh, looked to to participate in the pollution prevention world uh, to accomplish our, our national goals. Um, on the point source side, those are auto manufacturers, cement plants, steel plants, municipal waste treatment plants. They all have the mechanism or the ability to 
charge more for the products they make as they internalize those environmental costs, those external costs. In agriculture, what most people don't understand is that the farmer has little to no control over the price of his product. So when he or she makes milk, uh, that price is really determined far more by whether China is thirsty or not than it has to do with anything that's going on on their farm. And so there's a real missed opportunity here. And so Nutrient, who's done a couple of interesting things that I'll tell you over the course of our discussion, but we believe that the farmers can participate more in pollution prevention and have a marketplace that makes them more viable operations as we struggle with the volume of food we're going to need to to, uh, produce for everybody uh, to survive the planet. So let me so, just follow up a little bit. Uh, uh, Dominic uh, Bassani said, uh, you know, he identified cost as one of the real reasons that uh, Pennsylvania, in particular, is behind in uh, Chesapeake Bay cleanup. Uh, so let's talk about farmers, dairy farmers in particular, and the role in that. Up until this point, what we have heard most often is that uh, you know farm uh, agriculture uh, enterprises across Pennsylvania are uh, for the most part doing their best to comply with uh, the Chesapeake Bay cleanup. I just saw a story yesterday that uh, inspectors went out here in in, in Lancaster County. Sixty uh, percent of uh, farms had uh, already complied, and once they were told about the, where they weren't complying. Uh, they went. The inspectors went back a week or so later, and it was up to over 80% where they were complying. So for the most part, farms are complying. The problem that they have faced is that cost, that to bring their farms into compliance, that it costs a lot of money. And as you have identified, and many others have said, uh, farms, especially family farms, don't have a lot of uh, maneuvering room when it comes to uh, uh, when it comes to the the money it takes to run their operations. So. When you say that uh, farmers are willing and there is room for for farms to participate more in uh, pollution reduction, Chesapeake Bay in particular, where is that room? Where is that money coming from? Because up until this point, it's come from mostly the federal government. Well, that's a great question. And um, we're actually saying that many of these farmers can go beyond compliance. Compliance is one thing. Beyond compliance is really what we need to have happen. And the economics for that, a perfect example, is what this new legislation is proposing to do, which is to make, to bring the farmers into the competitive bidding world of pollution prevention. That's a great thing. That's a great step. We're working with many states, and we've taken a lot of different approaches because some states are further, uh, have taken different paths. But the whole concept is the same. The first thing we did as a company is we looked at, oh, probably 250 different technologies that could be applied to a farm. And these are mechanical technologies, not just farm practices. These technologies actually capture the nitrogen or the phosphorus and put it in a form that uh, does not do damage to the environment and ideally would be used as fertilizer in places where it's needed not in places where it's going to be part of the runoff. So there are a lot of options for these farmers, but what they don't have are reliable sources of income for the credits that they create, as Dom's talking about, so that allows them to go to the bank and borrow to the, the million dollars to buy and install this equipment. If they had that, if they had a reliable program, like this legislation is trying to create, those farmers would see it as an opportunity, they could borrow against that income, and they could participate in pollution prevention uh, protecting the Bay. Scott, I, I would like to just make one comment here. Yes, 60% of the farms were in compliance. And then within a short period of time, 80% of the farms were in compliance. And that's just in one county, by in the way. In one county. Mm-hmm. But in the last four years, you have gone from 111 public water sources in Lancaster County that are impaired for nitrogen. You're actually reducing nitrogen to meet public drinking water standards. You're now up to 150. So obviously, this isn't working. And that is the problem 
the bay is the canary in the coal mine. The problem is the Lancaster counties, the Yorks, whereby your public water sources are now not able to deliver drinking water that meets standards. So are you saying that the focus on the bay, which obviously we're doing this program today, gets a lot of the focus that much more focus needs to be on the drinking water? What we're saying is that if you look at the bay problem and you understand that the bay problem is telling you you have an interior fresh water, drinking water issue, okay, then you need to look at technologies such as Steve is talking about in our company and Energy Works and others because you get an incredible amount of local environmental reductions when you do bay mandates. So, for example, if we reduce 100 pounds of nitrogen, only 20 to 25 pounds will end up being bay credits. The other 75 to 80 pounds that's being reduced inures to the benefit of the local environment free of cost. You don't get that with BMPs. You don't get that BMPs. with best management practices for the most part because they can't treat ammonia. So you'll get a benefit from BMPs to the local environment, but you won't get that big a bang for the buck. You don't get that in a municipal wastewater treatment plant. So that is the hidden benefit in all of this. And that Steve can talk about because he's dealing with a much broader range of technologies than we are. Mm -hmm. Talk more about this in just a moment. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR News and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. Smart Talk is supported by Capital Blue Cross, providing health care coverage accepted by doctors and specialists in all 50 states. More information is available at capbluecross.com. Capital Blue Cross, live fearless. Smart Talk is also supported by the Pinnacle Health Cardiovascular Institute's team of cardiologists, surgeons, nurses, physicians assistants, and rehabilitation specialists, delivering a broad range of traditional and highly specialized procedures. Welcome back to Smart Talk. We're talking about the cleanup of the Chesapeake Bay from several different angles today. In this portion, we're talking about new legislation, really haven't gotten into the legislation. We will in just a moment. But new legislation that would allow private companies to bid for projects uh, that would uh, contribute to the cleanup of the Chesapeake Bay. Our guest, Dominic Bassani, a member of the Policy Committee of the Coalition for Affordable Bay Solutions and CEO of Bion Environmental Tech and Environmental Services. Steve Rowe is the president and CEO of Nutrient, a collective of U.S. dairy farmer cooperatives and uh, other agriculture interests. We encourage you to join our conversation by calling 1-800-729-7532 or sending an email to smarttalk at witf.org. You can leave a question or a comment on WITF's Facebook page. On Twitter, we are at smarttalk. WITF. Again, that phone number, 1-800-729-7532. All right, so Dominic Bassani, let's talk about the legislation. Uh, Senator Rich Alloway, who is a Republican from Franklin County here in our listening area, has been a guest in our program, uh, has introduced this legislation that would allow private companies like yours to put in bids to work on the Chesapeake Bay cleanup. Tell me why this would help the taxpayers of this state and uh, would provide uh, some progress in the cleanup of the bay? Well, in 2012, inserted into Governor Corbett's budget was funding for the Pennsylvania Legislative Budget and Finance Committee to conduct a study to determine whether or not a competitive bidding program to meet the bay mandate would reduce costs to the taxpayers. The study was published in January of 2013, and the study concluded that it would costs could be reduced by up to 80%. 80%? The proposal by Senator Alloway, the legislation that's being proposed, essentially is, is attempting to implement the LBFC study. Now, during that period of time that has passed, a number of things have occurred, which even create a greater cost discrepancy. For example, the U.S. EPA Region 3 conducted a study and determined that the vast majority of the model solutions that are being used in those studies were 50 to 80 percent less effective than modeled. 
And so essentially, you can look at the legislative budget and finance study and conclude that the alternative costs are two and a half to three times more than believed to be in 2013. So, so in your opinion, what's driving cost now? What's driving cost is the manner in which government goes about addressing the Bay. It's a government-to-government program, and it doesn't allow for competition. If you, if you look at the solutions that are being proposed and implemented, they're the same solutions for the last 30 or 40 years. So imagine where our economy would be if everybody was sitting with a black telephone, single line on their desk, hardwired. Um, we'd have a different world, and everything would cost 10 times more than it does. Um, in late June, Governor Corbett announced 17 municipal stormwater projects were being funded in grants for $2.2 million. That represents about half of the cost of those projects. They were going to reduce 2,800 pounds of nitrogen, 800,000 pounds of sediment, and I think 400 pounds of phosphorus. That amount of reduction could be bought from the private sector for $30,000 a year. That just gives you an idea of the enormous amount of discrepancy in cost. That's 1% of what they're spending just in capital, not including their operating cost. So the Bay program, as it's presently constructed, is environmentally unsustainable because it's economically unsustainable. The taxpayers don't have 20 to $30 billion to spend on the Bay. By the way, just as an aside, uh, I checked with uh, Pennsylvania's Department of Environmental Protection before the program to see if they had a position on this, and uh, was told that the, the secretary uh, w would have no comment on it at, at this point. Uh, let's take a phone call from Gail in Harrisburg. Gail, you're on the air. Hi, Scott. Good morning. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, you're welcome. I just took care. I pulled off the highway to make a comment. Well, that's good and safe. Uh, yeah, well, I'm stopped. Um, <laughs> Thank you for having uh, this issue on your show, but um, I think the big thing that's missing is, you know, this is international plant-based milkweed. More and more people are choosing to go to this alternative to dairy, and also uh, plant-based uh, ice cream and yogurt, and the dairy industry is up in arms about this. Of course, the plant-based milk industry does not pollute the bay. Or any other or any other water, so I think that should be part of our discussion. Okay, We're, you're you're breaking up here. So, uh, Steve, let me ask you about that uh, plant-based milk. I mean, uh, that's something we haven't heard a whole lot about. Is it viable? Sir Scott, what, uh, it, it may be a good topic for another discussion today, and I know that there are many people in the industry that would love to talk about it, and I can talk to you about the value of protein and, and uh, how milk is uniquely different than any of the other plant-based products. But I don't, I don't want to do a comparison here I, on this I show. I think It'll another the wrong direction. I will say, the, I will agree with you that that, that is a discussion yeah. for another program. Gene is in and Columbia. This is an issue, let, let me offer one thing here. Okay. And the success that these kinds of programs have provided, for your older listeners, and I put myself in that category, my children don't remember what acid rain was and it really had to do with sulfur deposition in the Northeast. And there was a trading program that was instituted, a national market-based program. And in less than a generation, my kids don't know what it is, that issue was resolved. And so when designed properly, and there are more participants involved in, uh, in pollution prevention, the results can be staggering and very fast. And that's the piece that we're most interested in. We're not specific to dairy. This program would work for anyone in agriculture that can do the kind of work that Dom's talking about. So it's not a closed deal. This isn't a special deal for one sector. It's an economically driven program that uh, results in a better environment. H has this been done in other states? I mean, we know there are uh, seven states in the District of Columbia involved in the Chesapeake Bay cleanup. Have other states uh, allowed uh, private entities to get involved? Yes, there are about, I would say, 30 or so different water quality trading programs around the country. And one of the things that Nutrient, my company, is doing 
is we've done a survey and we've looked at all these, and we are no, now going to some particular states, uh, Vermont and Wisconsin and the state of Washington, and we are looking at why some of those programs have done well and others have not flourished, and we're designing what we call the next generation of those programs that are driven by positive economics to get people to, to protect the environment more. All right, let's take a phone call from Joanne in Lancaster County. Joanne, you're on the air. Thank you. This is an issue that has been dear to my heart for decades. Um, down in Maryland, um, my husband, Alan Musselman, started the first farmland preservation program in the country. And we came here in 1984 to start Lancaster Farmland Trust. In Maryland, I was on the State Board of Leadville Conservation Voters, worked on congressional and with the state legislature in Maryland on Save the Bay issues. And for decades, Pennsylvania has dragged their feet on conservation Save the Bay issues. 30, 40 years, we've been talking about on the East Coast, different legislator, legislatures, um, simple measures that uh, can so easily be implemented, like keeping cows out of streams. I am sympathetic. My son has been an organic farmer for over 16 years, a dairy farmer. Yes, they are struggling. But there's a reason the EPA and the federal government, especially with the state of Pennsylvania, has had to be involved on these environmental issues because this isn't anything new. Again, this has been 30 to 40 years we've been talking about it, and now we're in a state of crisis, and I believe it's because our Pennsylvania legislature, under the influence of the state chamber of commerce and the state farm association, has bitterly fought this, and yet we have to face the fact that if we have, just like your speaker said, clean water, uh, I'm in Willow Street, you know, the Conestoga, the Susquehanna, if we clean up our own local waters, it benefits all of us. Hey, thank you, Joanne, for your call. Uh, so, Dominic, we were talking, and I just want to follow up on what Joanne said. We were talking before the program, and you said that you didn't think that uh, the Pennsylvania legislature understood this issue very well and really doesn't pay a whole lot of attention to it. That sounds that surprised me, I have to say. Well, the, the, the problem is that the mandate from the federal government is to the state. The local communities don't have a mandate. The mandate is assigned out through the DEP to stormwater authorities or municipal plants or whatever. But the reason that the legislature doesn't understand this issue as well and hasn't really committed itself to the issue is because the funding is local. The money's not coming out of the state budget. It's coming out of the local budgets. It's coming in the form of fees. It's coming in the form of stormwater fees, POTW increases. And when you look at the process, out of all the stakeholders in the process, whether it be the attorneys that write the bonds, whether it be banks that sell the bonds, whether it be the environmental engineers that design the systems, whether it be the local community POTW, contractors, there's only one group that is not really represented, and that's the taxpayer that's paying for it. So where does this bill stand? And when you say that, uh, you said earlier that uh, uh, really, the legislature is really not talking about it. Will this proposal all but uh, force legislators to talk about it? The proposal is really, and, and this came out of extensive discussions with Senator Alloway and others in leadership, the proposal is nothing more than government reform. What it does is it takes away the power to mandate and it says, okay, we're not going to do a top-down mandate. We know the answers. We know the solutions. We know everything going in because we're government. What it says is, let's put it up for competitive bidding. And when people have to put up their own money, as Warren Buffett says, you find out who's swimming naked when the tide goes out. <laughs> Dominic Bassani is a member of the Policy Committee of the Coalition for Affordable Bay Solutions. And Steve Rowe is president and CEO of Nutrient. Gentlemen, thank you very much for being with us today. Thank you.
Thank you, Scott. You're listening to WITF Smart Talk, your home for NPR News and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. Just wanted to mention that uh, coming up a little bit later this week, uh, we have, uh, you know, there was a study put out by uh, the National Football League uh, last month talking about uh, the long-term impact of head injuries, not just in the NFL, but in college and even on the high school and youth level. We're going to be talking about um, whether uh, there are actually parents out there who have said to the, they're not going to allow their their uh, children to play football. Talk about the study, uh, the impact, what we learned from that study, and uh, we'll have a number of people on the program uh, to discuss it. Lower Paxton Township in Dauphin County is a municipality that has developed a pollutant reduction plan to reduce sediment from stormwater discharges and streamwater erosion. It's just one of the steps the township has taken relating to the Chesapeake Bay cleanup. Joining us to talk more about that is Lower Paxton Township's manager, George Wolf. Mr. Wolf, welcome to the program. Uh, thank you very much, Mr. Lamar. If you have a question or a comment, give us a call, 1-800-729-7532, or send an email to smarttalk at WITF.org. All right, so I know the township has done a lot over the years. As one of our callers mentioned, this has been an ongoing thing. But the latest is this plan to uh, reduce sediment from stormwater discharges and streamwater erosion. Susquehanna Township in Dauphin County has also been involved. Talk about it. Explain what is it. Well, our plan involves three municipalities, uh, Lower Paxton Township, Susquehanna Township, and CRW, Capital Region Water, uh, which is the city of Harrisburg's uh, stormwater system, uh, jointly preparing a Chesapeake Bay pollutant reduction plan, as well as a Paxton Creek TMDL, Total Mass Daily Load uh, plan uh, as we are required to for renewal of our National Pollutant Discharge Elimination System permit, NPDES permits, which are due to be submitted to DEP uh, by September 16th. So we are uh, at this point in time on a uh, submission schedule which has our Joint Pollution Pollutant Reduction Plan advertised for public comment as we speak. Uh, we had a public hearing on the 15th of this month at the Township's Municipal Building for uh, presentation of the plan uh, to interested individuals in the public. All three municipalities participated in this uh, public hearing. And uh, we will be submitting our plan jointly to DEP by the uh, deadline. So what does the plan involve? Uh, the plan involves multiple things. Uh, under the Clean Water Act, uh, uh, small MS4s, municipal separate storm water, storm sewer systems, are required to obtain an NPDES permit. Um, because Paxton Creek, which drains about 60% of Lower Paxton Township and uh, most of Susquehanna Township and a portion of the city of Harrisburg has been determined to be uh, polluted by sediment. Uh, the three municipalities have joined together to submit a joint plan to address the sediment issue. Now, in our last segment, we were focusing mostly on uh, nitrogen and manure runoff from agriculture. What are the pollutants, the sediment, and where does that sediment come from that is running into the Paxton Creek and eventually into the Susquehanna River and the Chesapeake Bay? Sediment by uh, the plan has been determined to be coming from primarily uh, stream erosion. It also comes from urbanized runoff, uh, streets and parking lots. It uh, certainly comes from agriculture, um, and it, it, it's uh, there's there's actually four: agriculture, uh, urban runoff, uh, stream erosion, and I'm forgetting the fourth. But stream erosion is by far the greatest pollutant of sediment to uh, Paxton Creek. So. What do you do to reduce that storm erosion, you, or that creek erosion, I should say? You, you improve your stream mix. Uh, the pollutant reduction plan identifies 13 projects, uh, but the three municipalities need to undertake within a five-year period to uh, reduce sediment by an estimated 10%. 
in that period of time. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously, there's a cost attached to all of this. Uh, I don't know whether your plan identifies cost specifically. I'll ask you that question. But uh, how is that money spent? Well, the, the, the ultimate cost of Lower Paxton Township's program has yet to be determined. The pollutant reduction plan for Paxton Creek and our Chesapeake Bay, uh, the three municipalities have identified, as I said, 13 projects, and the estimated cost of those projects at this point in time is approaching $9 million. Uh, that's a portion of the cost that uh, will be uh, assumed by the municipalities. Uh, we have our storm sewer systems that we have to maintain. We have to em enforce our stormwater management regulations. Uh, we have uh, best management practices under our MS4 program that we have to implement. Um, so the cost at this point in time in total has yet to be determined. Um, we are, and we have uh, in Lower Paxton, retained a consultant to do a cost study, uh, which should be completed by the end of this year. And we are looking at uh, the potential of charging a stormwater fee uh, through our township authority, much like we charge a sanitary sewer fee. Any idea what that fee would be? It's been called a rain tax by some people. I don't know whether you like that term or not. I see you smiling, but uh, that's how it's been referred to, maybe not in a complimentary way. Well, uh, at this point in time, we don't know what the fee uh, will be. Uh, and, yes, I certainly understand how individuals can feel that it's a tax. Obviously, when you're paying government, uh, whether it's a fee or a tax, it's coming out of your pocket and it hurts. Uh, but uh, at the same time, uh, these are uh, improvements that we have to make, uh, not only to our environment, but at the municipal level because we are required to by higher levels of government. Uh, we have no choice. So uh, to comply, we, we have to generate revenue to implement these projects. What you're talking about is uh, um, what many people refer to as mandates from uh, the state and the federal government. Uh, do you receive any funding to assist in these projects from the state or federal government? At this point in time, we have received no funding from either the state or federal government for this program. Mm -hmm. And you don't anticipate that? Uh, not at this time, no. Mm -hmm. What else has Lower Paxton Township done? I mean, this is your latest plan. As you said, right now we are in the comment uh, uh, portion of that. What else has the township done over the years? Well, for pollution reduction, over the last 15 years, the township has had a significant uh, sanitary sewer improvement program. Uh, we have had a very wet year, uh, probably the wettest, or maybe the third wettest August on record. Uh, August isn't over yet. Uh, in, in the past, 15 years ago, under these types of conditions, we would have had, uh, during a heavy storm, over 150 sanitary sewer manholes overflow. Uh, this month we have had what we call two wet weather events, significant stormwater events in our community. We have had no sanitary sewer and manhole overflows. We have spent over this 15-year period $150 million to get to this point, and we are not done. Our, our program for sanitary sewer improvements will continue for the next 15 years. Uh, till 2033-35, depending upon which drainage basin you're in. It's cost our community uh, significantly. Uh, our sanitary sewer rates on a quarterly basis are high. Uh, they're $149 per quarter. And uh, much of that uh, sewer rate out of people's pockets is going to pay for these sanitary sewer improvements. We're replacing sanitary sewer lines in the street and on private property to eliminate uh, infiltration into the sewer, stormwater getting into our sewer system. One final question. You mentioned uh, impervious uh, surfaces. We're talking about road roofs, uh, blacktop, uh, streets, driveways. What can the township do about that to reduce that sentiment? Well, uh, we can encourage best management practices. Um, uh, new developments, of course, are uh, looking at rain gardens, um, uh, pervious 
pavement, uh, pavement that actually absorbs or allow water to percolate uh, through the pavement into the sub-basin, obviously further down into the soil. Uh, but Lower Paxton Township grew and developed in the 60s and 70s, and uh, we have uh, good portion of I-83, a good portion of I-81, uh, 22 Union Deposit Road, Linglestown Road in our communities. We have uh, large commercial shopping areas with large parking lots, and quite honestly, I don't expect to see major changes to those facilities as part of our current stormwater program. George Wolf is Lower Paxton Township's uh, Township Manager. Mr. Wolf, thank you very much for being with us today. Thank you. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR News and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. The Conowingo Dam sits just a few miles south of the Pennsylvania border. It is the last dam on the Susquehanna River before the river runs into the Chesapeake Bay. For years, the Conowingo has been trapping sediment that made its way into the Susquehanna, mostly from Pennsylvania. It was thought that the dam could handle a few more years of sediment, but now it is full sooner than expected. The state of Maryland has taken on a project to dredge a portion of the sediment behind the dam to determine whether dredging is a permanent solution. Joining us on the phone is Maryland Secretary of the Environment, Ben Grumbles. Secretary Grumbles, welcome to the program. Yeah, thank you so much. If you have a question or a comment, give us a call, 1-800-729-7532, or send an email to smarttalk at witf.org. Secretary Grumbles, I want to thank you for taking the time uh, from your schedule. It's not often that we get uh, uh, a secretary, cabinet secretary from another state on the program, so I appreciate this. All right, let's talk about the Conowingo specifically, and then maybe a little bit later, if we have time, we could talk about uh, Bay cleanup efforts overall. Uh, What particularly is the state of Maryland proposing here? I guess it's not even a proposal. You're going to do it. Right, and, and it's it's a real honor to, to also follow the great discussion uh, from the Lower Paxton Township. The, the emphasis is on pollution prevention and also innovative partnerships. And so what Maryland realizes is that for too long, the region has been uh, sweeping the dirt under the rug at the steps of the Conowingo Dam. And we realize that if we can all focus on pollution prevention and learn how to beneficially reuse some of that sediment, that dredge material behind the dam, to restore capacity behind the dam to prevent the nutrient pollution and the sediment pollution from flowing through the dam, that'll be a good thing. So we're kicking off a pilot project to dredge 25,000 cubic yards of that sediment and to learn how to beneficially reuse it and restore capacity to help prevent pollution to the Chesapeake Bay. So what happened, as I mentioned in my introduction, it was estimated that uh, there would be a few more years before uh, the the sediment yeah. would be built up, that uh, it would be, f- the, the Conowingo Dam, behind the dam, it would be full. We obviously got much more sediment than expected. Yeah, the, the, uh, the beauty of uh, science is that uh, adaptive management needs to be a central component to it. So so when the pollution uh, prevention plan, the TMDL, was established in 2010, the scientists at the federal and state level using their models estimated that the that the, the reservoir behind the dam, the 14-mile reservoir, that would not fill up uh, uh, essentially until 2025. And right now, uh, we're seeing it as near full. And so it's been a combination of weather, uh, increased erosion, a variety of factors, and the simple fact now is that it is full, and we need to restore some of that storage capacity behind the dam, continue to prevent pollution into the bay. As you said, um, you know, it's going to take partnerships working together. You know, I've heard some people say that the, the best way to keep the sediment from going into the bay is upstream, the Susquehanna River and the other places, to keep that sediment from going into waterways to begin with. I mean, I, I have to That's think... absolutely true. A- absolutely true. And, and Maryland embraces that principle. An, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of sediment. <laughs> uh, and, in fact... Uh, you know, if we if we don't change that dynamic, what we're looking at is a million 
pounds of phosphorus pollution a year now passing through the dam, whereas in the past it was sufficiently kept behind the dam, a great best management practice. So we, we will continue to embrace, and work closely with uh, Pat McDonald and his team and, uh, and all of Pennsylvania and New York through the Bay Partnership to provide incentives. We all benefit. We all benefit from pollution prevention upstream, but we've we've got to address the the full capacity of storage behind the dam with the sediment. Pat McDonald, of course, Pennsylvania's secretary of DEP. But my question is, uh, being filled to capacity with sediment uh, at least seven years before it was estimated, that has to send up a red flag. That maybe yeah. we're not doing, we're not meeting our goals as well as we should ha- should be. Right, right. No, there's there's no doubt, and, and Governor Hogan has made it very clear that for him, uh, at, the, at the heart of the successful Bay Restoration Strategy is the Susquehanna River. It's not just the Conowingo Dam. It, it's working with our partners and and in the federal government. Uh, to reduce the nutrient and sediment pollution upstream. But, but the reality is we also need to learn how to restore some capacity behind that, that dam. That, that reservoir provides drinking water to Marylanders and Pennsylvanians as well. And a simple fact is, is that when the sediment pool has filled, uh, nobody's benefiting uh, without that store. So we're trying to add some you notes. Know, some leeway there to prevent the continual leakage or or a catastrophic spill now that this, the, the uh, reservoir is full with sediment. So it, it all adds up to learning and taking some important steps behind the dam as well as much farther upstream to prevent the erosion and, and nutrient pollution. A catastrophic event. Uh, Governor Hogan of Maryland did uh, uh, discuss this when uh, you, the announcement was made about the, the dredging project at the, the Conowingo. Uh, how would you describe a catastrophic catastrophic event, and what would what impact would that have on the bay? All of all of our climate scientists at the state and federal levels know that extreme weather events are quite likely, uh, more likely in the coming years. So a catastrophic event could be along the lines of a Hurricane Agnes, something that totally wipes out the storage system, wipes out the dam's ability to prevent pollution and washes away decades of environmental cleanup progress that we are enjoying uh, in the Chesapeake Bay. That, that would be a catastrophic event. That's the type of uh, acute risk that uh, Conowingo sediment, uh, the fill-up, presents now. The, the chronic risk which is at the heart of a lot of our discussions over the next uh, two months with all the states in the Chesapeake Bay region and the, and the federal government is going to be uh, the chronic risk of now that the, the pool behind the dam is filled, that there are 200 million uh, tons of sediment there on a daily, weekly basis. The risk of continual leakage through the dam now is, is very real, and over time, the scientists are telling us there's no way we in Maryland in particular are going to meet our TMDL, our cleanup goal, if we don't deal with that the sediment problem. So we're taking an important step, and, and we'll be reaching out and working closely with our upstream partners, as so, well as downstream partners. Virginia, D.C.? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, and, uh, and uh, Delaware and uh, and absolutely the federal government. Conolingo is at the top of the list of key policy decisions we need to be making as we do our mid-point uh, assessment of, of uh, are we going to meet our 2025 goals for the Bay cleanup. Now, the, the project you're talking about, the dredging project, as you mentioned, is a pilot project. I mean, you're not uh, planning to go in and just right. get all this uh, sentiment out at this point. Basically, this is an experiment to see if it is right. something that can be done in the future, in the long term, correct? That is correct, and it's so important for listeners to understand, particularly when people are just trying to defend the status quo. And, and from Governor Hogan's perspective, the status quo is fatal. What, what we're trying to do is have a cost-effective project that not only tests 
a dredging technology for 25,000 cubic yards. That, that's a relatively small amount compared to the 200 million tons of sediment that are behind the dam. It's to test the effectiveness of that dredging technique, but it's also to test the beneficial reuse of that dredge material. We're very excited about finding new applications for that sandy sediment to restore habitat, to shore up the land that's at risk from sea level rise, possibly to even create lightweight aggregate building material with that sand. There's, there's value in that material, but we have to figure out what makes the most sense and learn from it. But it does signal an important step forward in making progress to protect the Chesapeake Bay, in our view. Mr. Secretary, we only have a minute or so left. I want to thank you very much again for coming on the program. Uh, if you could, in a minute or less, uh, talk about where you think the Chesapeake Bay cleanup is, what would you say? Well, we, we have a very strong partnership, and uh, the states are committed to meeting their goals. And, and, you know, that puts a lot of pressure on Pennsylvania because they, they definitely have uh, some catch-up work to do. And we're working closely with Pennsylvania, Maryland, and Virginia. We, we understand that. We know that there needs to be some innovative public-private partnerships. Interstate nutrient trading in the Susquehanna River Basin is going to be important. The, the, the proposed cuts to the federal budget that the Trump administration proposed, we're, we're unified in, in fighting those cuts. We need to have some federal backstop, regulatory backstop, and we need to increase the science at the federal and state and nonprofit level to be able to monitor our progress. The good news is we really are making progress. We need to deal with the sediment problem that's been swept under the carpet behind the Conowingo Dam, and we need to continue to work together and bring in more of the private sector and then let the public know it's working. We are making some progress. We can't afford to slow down now. Maryland Secretary of the Environment, Ben Grumbles. Secretary Grumbles, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you so much. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR News and all things regional. By the way, you can follow Smart Talk on Twitter at Smart Talk WITF. You actually can follow me on Twitter uh, at Scott Lamar, and uh, I encourage you to do both, by the way. Uh, as I mentioned, coming up later this week, we're going to talk about head injuries uh, related mostly to football. That's coming up a little bit later this week. Smart Talk is produced by WITF as part of our mission to deliver relevant, high-quality programming. Support for this program comes from Capital Blue Cross, which shares WITF's commitment to being a valuable and trusted resource for the communities we serve. Capital Blue Cross, live fearless. Smart Talk is also supported by Pinnacle Health, committed to research that improves health, reduces recovery times, and brings new treatments and therapies to our area before they are available elsewhere. More information is at pinnaclehealth.org.